Appamada's programmes and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much. Welcome, everyone, uh, to the uh, fourth meeting of the Precepts 23 group. Um, we still have people joining us. I would like to start with just a few minutes of sitting, and others can join us, and then we'll begin our, our discussion for today. So please uh, sit back in your chair. Align your shoulders with your ears, align your shoulders with your hips. Uh, allow your um, breastbone to rise with your breath. And imagine a string going up from the top of your breastbone up to the ceiling, or even up to the sky. And let that help you uh, expand your chest and keep your, keep your breathing and your heart open while you sit. Now ring a bell, now ring a bell at the end. <clears throat> welcome, welcome to everyone. I see we have 28 participants uh, besides myself, that's fantastic. And I see people in all parts of the world here. This is a wonderful thing. Thank you so much for being here. And um, I want to start by saying some thanks. I want to thank Rosemarie for being our online monitor today and for helping us uh, be connected. And uh, oh, I see that there are some people in the Zendo. Uh, that's so interesting. Hi there. Um, Shashi, is that you? I can't tell who it is. I'm sorry. Well, anyway, um, I want to say thank you to Ahsoka for sending out the very beautiful meditation uh, on the Brahma Viharas that you shared a couple weeks ago. I actually used that this morning as part of a talk, and I, I sent you an email about it. Um, and and um, if you haven't had a chance to read it and spend some time with it, it's a very beautiful lyrical way of opening up uh, connection with uh, compassion, uh, loving kindness, equanimity, and sympathetic joy, the, the four Brahma Viharas, or divine abodes, as they can be called. So uh, some, some wondrous connections there. Uh, today we'll be talking about the uh, relationship between this precept, meeting people on equal ground, and how this can be elucidated by language from uh, the group called the Right Use of Power Institute. And um, Dr. Peter Barstow and her colleagues and the, and the curriculum they developed originally for psychotherapists um, and uh, has later expanded beyond, well beyond 
the, this kind of professional practice to uh, awareness of the way in which power um, affects personal relationships and how personal relationships are based in social constructs that we all participate in and all kind of fight against at the same time. <clears throat> so um, I, I have a question for the beginning, just for, not, you don't have to write anything down or so on, but I'll just say, it used to be that I thought that power and arrogance were pretty synonymous, that, um, that power was a matter of um, uh, arrogantly bossing other people around. And that's how, you know, that's how I experienced it. And, uh, you know, I had an overbearing older brother and an older sister. And, uh, and then I went to work and I had to do what the boss said or else I would get fired and, you know, those kinds of things. Um, so it wasn't until about uh, 12, 10 or 12 years ago, uh, encountering the right use of power that I saw, or the curriculum for the right use of power, that I was able to, to understand Cedar Barstow's definition of power which is the ability to have an effect. And um, uh, before I go on, let me ask, did everyone get copies of the documents that I shared? Um, Lisa Judge said that she had some trouble with the formatting of them, so I just resent them as separate PDFs just a few minutes ago. So it may, it may not be uh, possible to um, you know, have those in front of you, but uh, I will put something up on the screen later on. So I want to share a document. Um, it'll take me a moment to get it up on the screen here. Just one second. Okay. Um, I hope everyone can see this. This is the, the document called Three Types of Power. And there's another document which called Five Types of Power. It was a later version in which uh, it was expanded beyond the original definitions. But the, the uh, uh, early work by Cedar Barstow and her colleagues was to describe what she called personal power. Um, and I'm going to just briefly read through this list here uh, of, of um, aspects of it. Uh, personal power is our birthright. Uh, it is accompanied by the inherent human right to be treated with dignity, respect, and fairness. Um, personal power is always present, but we can be more or less aware of it and have more or less ac access to it. And um, that, that, that um, at, when we have less access to it, we are more vulnerable to uh, abuses of power from those in an up power role. Um, we can, the, uh, the personal power can be limited by ourselves or by the misuse of power by others. But in most situations, we can retain some personal power through positive attitudes and self-respect. And it comes in many forms, uh, including the power to communicate art articulately, uh, to have uh, a presence that other people want, as I uh, use the term charisma here, uh, and creativity. Um, and um, then Barstow defines role power or positional power. So it comes out, so I have role power because 
I am the official leader of this class, right? So I have the role power. And um, it's separate from personal power and is thus mutable. It can be, it can be withdrawn. It has to be, um, it, it, it is power that automatically accompanies any position of authority, but authority itself is something that is conveyed by mutual, mutual agreement. So it's not just a status, but it is a mutual agreement for, for sustaining role power. Role power carries an increased or expanded amount of power and responsibility, and it is integrated with personal power in the sense that role power needs to come from an authentic place of personal power, an authentic place uh, of honesty and accountability as well. Some assigned roles carry greater increased power and responsibility than others. And uh, in Cedar Barstow's uh, expression, she's uh, uh, in, in the relationship for doctors and nurses and teachers and employers and, and so on, she says that the person in the up power role, uh, well, the person in the down power role, say in personal power, um, has 100% responsibility for maintaining the openness of the relationship, but that the person in the up power role has 150% responsibility, watching out for uh, their own actions and for the impact that the actions have on others. And, the, and there's a very important distinction that uh, Dr. Barstow and others make between uh, intention and impact. And where when impact varies from intention, it is the it is the role of the person in the up power role. Uh, it is the responsibility of that person to track the impact and to make sure that the impact matches the intention of what what was uh, planned from the beginning. Um, so examples, you can see the list there: doctor, nurse teacher, principal, employer, clergy, chairperson, therapist, social worker, coach, elected official, chief executive officer, professor, parent, body worker, police officer. So these are, these are roles in which one will have access to more resources than the people you're interacting with generally. I mean, in the, I gave the example of when I was talking about arrogance before, of having to conform to the expectations of, uh, of my employer, you know, and uh, the employer can terminate an employment. Uh, uh, and, the, you know, on and on with those types of relationships. And then finally, there's status power. In the, in the, um, um, umbra of power that that uh, right use of power describes and I just I want to start with actually the examples here, because these are largely invisible to us, but we you know age social class wealth celebrity education race sexual orientation nationality gender physical appearance physical prowess religious affiliation, these are things. In, in which we are embedded and we don't and we don't typically think of them as being about us but uh, but being about the society or about 
um, how we fit in with society. But in fact, they convey a great deal of power uh, upon us in certain situations. And we can, you know, if we have money, we can act differently to people who don't have money. Um, and um, there are many, many examples in which status power uh, can interfere with uh, perceptions of role power and perceptions of personal power. And by clinging to status power, we can bl essentially blind ourselves to the impact of our actions. Uh, we just it, it assume we can assume that things are the way that they are in our society, uh, and that uh, people of a certain age and a certain social class and a certain educational attainment are ordained by God to be treated better than people who have a different uh, levels of attainment and so on. And that again, the, what Cedar Barstow was talking about is being aware of the impact that these, these status powers uh, convey on us and, and what they communicate to others, even if we don't know they are being communicated. So any, any questions about that so far? So um, I'm going to stop this share and uh, then open this uh, other document So the, um, the document here is an even further uh, uh, condensation of the material in the previous document. Role power, personal power uh, comes in many forms, including awareness, communication, presence, and creativity, can be limited by ourselves or others or by the culture. But in most situations, we can retain at least a, a connection with our personal power. Role power uh, being the next one, uh, again, uh, it is mutable and will come and go with the positions that we hold. And, and again, in, it will come and go with the level of agreement that we have with the people that we're dealing with. Status power is culturally conferred. It often goes unrecognized by those who hold it. And it is, in a very important sense, unearned in a way that, uh, that, that makes it different from role power. Role power has a, a kind of earned quality by arising out of consensus or agreement. Status power does not. Um, and then there's collective power. And these are the two more recent additions. Collective power, power that comes from gathering personal role and status power from multiple sources to affect change toward a common or shared interest. It can manifest in many ways, such as power with or power over. And it is subject to both collective wisdom and collective folly. It necessitates collaboration and is centered on shared values. Examples of collective power include unions, support groups, hate groups. And then finally, systemic power is the widespread expression of collective power on an institutional, national, or global level, 
generated over time by people with up role and up status power. It manifests in structural ways and in ways that are largely or can be subliminal. Um, it is derived from and perpetuates, perpetuates existing role and status power positions. It legitimates itself through history and the telling of history. And examples of systemic power include cultural norms, laws, policies, media conventions, and professional expectations. So I think, I, I'm guessing that I, I began with a, a question about arrogance. What is arrogance? Why, do I, why did I used to associate arrogance with power? Um, I doubt that there's anybody here who would, who would normally think of themselves or would explicitly embrace arrogance. Uh, there's a quote uh, in uh, Diane Rosetto's uh, reactions, or, uh, uh, reactions about the precept from one of her students who writes, for example, I am good at letting people hear what they want to hear. So the practice for me of this precept becomes uh, noticing when I am doing this and inquiring what, what might be behind some of that requirement. So I, she's implying a, a kind of manipulation of others by giving them what they want so that she ends up where she wants to be, right? I noticed more and more the need to be validated, the need to be liked, the need to be seen as having no faults, the investment I had in some people being perceived negatively, and so on. I measured myself accordingly. I also started seeing how, without directly saying something negative about someone else, the way I put something could lead the person I was speaking to to draw some negative conclusions about someone else. Of course, this made me look better. It's all so subtle. I know I still miss a lot. Plus, I find it painful to see because it necessitates being aware that I did some harm, that I have an, an investment in people seeing that I do good. But I know it is a critical practice for me because this particular way of being is like the air that I breathe. It's so subtle and slippery. I sense that this practice is unraveling something, she says, at the cellular level. So <clears throat> this is, um, on the one hand, we have language that describes how we fit into society, how, can, how we connect with other people, uh, how we have personal integrity, and we have the right to be treated fairly and, and honestly. Um, and um, negotiating all those things with our psychobiology, as I, as I wrote in, a, in the materials that I shared um, a couple weeks ago, um, where we have a natural propensity to want to protect ourselves from harm uh, and to feel that we are connected with others in ways that will be not only enjoyable now, but sustainable in the future. Those are very important parts of our of our daily lives, you know, and 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 with our and of of our uh, the way our biology and minds are structured. So it's very difficult to get away from something that is so subtle and slippery as as wanting other people to like us and wanting to figure out where we stand in a social hierarchy. But we can do some harm uh, by constantly um, measuring ourselves against others, 
uh, and particularly if we do so in ways that um, uh, that lead us to stay in our story, to stay in the story to the extent that we are missing the real people in front of us, the real people that we're dealing with. So I've been going on along about this for a while here. It's been uh, about 20 minutes. I want to take a break and just ask uh, for reactions to the materials that have been shared. Uh, what you think about these descriptions of, of power roles that, that the Right Use of Power Institute has, has promulgated and whether you see any uh, benefit to using this type of language to approach this precept. So anybody want to jump in on that? So Mary Beth, thank you for jumping in. How are you? <clears throat> yeah, so I have found just the definition. So thank you for these handouts, by the way. It was very, very helpful for me because I have found that just the simple act of me looking at the three areas personal power role power and status power in relation to other people and naming it for myself oh okay so this is the role power here and this is status and this is for personal power it helps me to meet people on equal ground because sometimes i'm in an up power role and sometimes i'm in a down power role it just depends on the situation and so uh, I think the two work very well together for me, especially in terms of just naming and, and understanding that the equal ground part can be there even on an up power, even when I'm on an up power or I'm on a down power, if that makes sense. Let, Mary Beth, let me ask you, how is it that if you're in an up power role, how can you be on equal ground with the person in a down power role? I mean, it's tricky. It, I think it's in the way that for me, and I can speak of my experience, it's the way that I understand my role and know that it's just a role. We're still uh, humans, we're still equal. I just might have a little bit more responsibility in a particular relationship or reaction, a, a relationship or activity at that particular moment. Um, did I answer your question? I, you did. Thank you. That's, that's very well said. Yeah. I would add a couple of things that I got from reading. I've, I've taken the course a couple of times with Cedar Barstow and so on. And, 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 uh, uh, recently just retook it, as a matter of fact. But the, one of the things that I would add to what you say is that a person in an up power role, I, I mentioned the extra responsibility for scanning, you know, tracking for impact and so on, and making sure that, that your communication is clear, that your expectations have been made clear, and, and that you're and, and in an appropriate way. And that, um, and, and that you are that you are 
responsible for your own self, that you're not getting sidetracked into other psychological issues, um, as can as can often happen, uh, that have to do. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going off on a sidetrack, but just that that the communication be clear and direct and um, uh, useful for both of you. You know that that's that is that's a, that has something to do with um, uh, accountability for the person in the up power role, and that to be accountable in that way is is a way of being responsive and appropriate in an up power role. I, I, that's my understanding. Anyway. No, and you articulated it very well. Oh. Yeah, I've had the same thoughts. So thank okay. you for that. All right, thank you, Shelley. Hi. Thanks, Phil. Um, I work in a profession where I'm in an up power role. And uh, my intention is always to not be my role, but to be me and to meet people on equal ground. And um, sometimes um, people don't see me, they see my role. And it doesn't matter what I do to try to help them to see me to be on equal ground. Um, if they've decided I am my role, mm -hmm. I cannot seem to meet them um, in that relational space on equal ground, despite my best efforts. Mm -hmm. And I, I watch and I'm tracking the, the interaction, but I find it really challenging when I can't really influence people to see me as me instead of my role. And it just makes me sad. Thank you for sharing that. That is a, that is a real dilemma uh, that you're you're pointing to, I think, and that that. Um, uh, that, that because we have role power, because we have status power and so on, that can be a barrier for other people, particularly if they are naive, as I used to be, and, and just regard anybody with any kind of role power as being arrogant, as I said before, you know, that, and that's, that's a mistake that they're making. But when you, when you make the effort to be transparent and to communicate clearly, does that have, do you find that that has any, <clears throat> reflecting it back to your own personal power and your own sense of yourself, is it, is it helpful you, for, for you to know I'm doing the best I can in this situation, even though I'm not getting the response that I was hoping for? Yeah. So it's in, it, that, that's a way in which I think that this notion of personal power and even in a relationship where there's there's a defined relationship of up power and down power a person can withhold the agreement of the of the personal power to the up power person you know there's a there's ways in which all these agreements are reciprocal and changing moment by moment and um that 
I don't know. I get, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the that the <clears throat> acknowledgement <clears throat> of those relationships in an honest way can be very good. So, all right, uh, Shelley. So you're unable to unmute. You wanted to say some more. I just wanted to thank you for naming that. That was very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Rosemary, I see you have your hand up. Yeah, I just um, wanted to respond to Mary Beth in terms of, well, actually, it's your question, Joel. What do you, how do you um, treat people on equal ground when you're on the up, up power position? And, um, well, you know, when you are in that position, you're still um, treating the, pe the person as, as an equal. In other words, well, my example is is clear because I really failed in this, and that was when when I have people work doing things for me, like a handyman, for example. Um, and what I noticed is, and English is not their first language, so there's some implicit bias in how I responded when they didn't understand right away what I was uh, asking for. Mm -hmm. So um, I was clearly in an up power position, and I was very impatient and they should have understood right away so there was two two levels there i guess there was the um the roles role power and also um you know some implicit bias there that i noticed about myself so that was that was a big lesson for me mm -hmm. so i don't the, the power is not the issue but how whichever you place you are that you're um really treating this person you know um equally as yourself so i just wanted to Thank you. Thank you, Rosemary. That's it, you know, for people to give examples where they're not the hero of the story, where they did something wrong, that's bravery. Thank you for that, Rosemary. Thank you. <clears throat> um, Frances, can you unmute, I hope? Yes. Yes, I, good. Uh, well, what I was gonna say, you said actually the last time you said it really well, but I was gonna give an example. When I was uh, still working, I was I was in an up power position, and I didn't realize that you can't really be in an up power position unless the people uh, that you have power over are in agreement to that. <laughs> you can assume your up power position. But I was going to give a concrete example in my retired time. Uh, I have. Uh, two grandsons, but my 10-year-old grandson is quite cheeky and quite independent. So the other day um, we were, I, I see them every day. So I was saying, okay, we're going to do this for a little while. And then we're going to go inside and then da, 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 you know, trying. To, and he said, why do you get to tell us what we're going to do? <laughs> I thought, well, why do I? It was an assumed power position that I had about myself that Levi wasn't necessarily buying into. Yeah. Because he well, definitely you, sees himself as an equal with me. Yeah. But then you, you know, that's kind of a funny kind of example with your with a child. But I can go right back and think to my professional years and I think when when you keep assuming your position of that up power, 
<clears throat> that's when it becomes arrogance. And, and I will say that there's a there's the distinction that that Cedar Barstow and others make between role power, which comes from agreement and consensus almost, uh, and status power, which is fragile and vulnerable. Your status power can be, um, it's a, you know, we don't tend to think of it very much, but it's the sort of thing that somebody can turn to you and say, well, who made you the boss of it? <laughs> and well, and it can be used as a weapon because yeah. you do have positional power then. And right. often it's, I'll take your job away, or I'll take your privileges away. Or if you're the grandmother or parent, you can, you know, go to timeout or you can do, right. some, do something. But it right. still really is more of a perceived kind of power. Uh, although right. in that role, you do have more weapons you can use to hurt someone. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, so... Uh, let me say, I want to I, I want to call on Lisa and Susan and Genev, but then there's another question I want to ask, which is in a down power role, how do you exercise your power in an appropriate way to meet others on equal ground? If you are in a job situation or a teaching relationship or something like that, in that down power role. How do you act in a way that you are meeting another person on equal ground, even if they have greater resources than you, even if they have um, um, authority to to make changes that you know you would not have you would not have that same authority? I believe I believe that there is a a way to do that, and I would like to to ask uh, for a volunteer uh, later on to to jump into on that one. So, uh, Lisa, Lisa Judge. Oh yeah. Um, well, to answer your most question you just asked, <clears throat> I guess the the solution that I've come to in recent years is just to exercise kind of a joining energy in the moment with that other person, because I can notice that I'm talking with them, but I'm not joining with them so that it it does feel like that is easier to set up a power dynamic. Um, this issue is just hitting to the heart of a lot that I've struggled with over the course of my life. First as a therapist, because I wasn't comfortable being in a power role with people because you're working with someone, you're not working on someone. Mm -hmm. And two, I've recently become president of the Homeowners Association Board and that has just become torturous in terms of trying to understand how to collaborate with people at the same time to exercise an influence in situations where things are spiraling out of control to some extent. And I've had to just say, I'm, the last time this happened, I just said, I really try to encourage collaboration and the sharing of power, but I've got to pull rank here and set some boundaries because we're spiraling out of control and I'm about to, you know, I, this can't continue sort of. Um, so, yeah, I guess I, I just wanted to acknowledge how difficult this is to, and, and I guess acknowledge that communication has again been sort of another, to keep in mind that I'm an influencer, not, and then to just 
I really struggle. I mean, I I can write an email eight or nine times before I send it just to make sure that it expresses what I want to say in a way that I don't think will offend someone, but will also be clear about what I mm -hmm. want to say. Um, so thank you for getting on something that I'm glad we're talking about because I need, yeah. need help. <laughs> thank you. I would say there's something, an important point also that Cedar Barstow and others make, which is that it, when you are in an up power role, people project things onto you. So the therapists know about this, it's called transference, right? That, uh, that uh, whatever people are struggling with, you that they, they like to attach that to you, you know? Mm -hmm. And I had the odd, right about the time when I first started taking the first class and, and working with Peg and others on the on right use of power, I was one Sunday leading uh, a um, uh, well, I was a timekeeper at Akamana. In fact, Peg had, had given a talk. She had already left the room, and a member of the sangha came. And I was I, like I said, I was just sitting there ringing the bells. And and in the timekeeper's book at Akamana, there are instructions. After you finish ringing the bells and everybody else leaves, you do three bows put out the candle and you you make some adjustments on the altar and a person came and she was just being friendly but and she wanted to give me a hug while I was there and I said hang on I've got to do this other stuff I'll be right with you and she got really mad at me and because the uh, uh the as, as I understood it from further reading that when you were in the up power role you that you know you you get some things projected onto you and then the slights that you do get amplified mm -hmm. you know what you what what may seem unimportant to you can become very important to someone who sees themselves in a in a down power role yeah so again this has a lot to do with our relationships with other people and and, and about meeting people on equal ground mm -hmm. and just knowing where we are, if if we're in a power hierarchy like that. Yeah. So. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Susan Kudurka, hi there. Hi. Hi. There you go. Um, so the first thought that came to me uh, was, um, you know, the question of what's what serves life in a way, you know, uh, in any sort of use of power, but. Um, in particular, I started thinking that, or I was reflecting that, you know, when I've been in this sort of up power role, which I've been in as a as a boss, um, you know, what I've what I've always tried to remember and try to convey, not always successfully, is a sense of, or I've tried to kind of embody what is the larger purpose that we are both serving. So, what is the mission of the organization, or what is the is the larger value or what is the kind of life-serving value that we're collectively um, engaged in, you know, and, and, and so to make whatever is going on sort of be going on in that context and not in the context of me personally, you know, like not that, that a, a role of personal, of, and I'm thinking of this mostly in terms of role power, but it is, um, you know there is a difference but to to be trying to kind of keep us both focused or keep all, all of us focused on kind of the larger purpose you know which is 
Uh, so we're both sort of engaged in that. And you can sort of, even as a teacher, you know, you're both engaged in education or the, you know, kind of illumination of things or whatever, you know, or you're a doctor, it's it's health or or something. So there's something larger than the than my individual, you know, power in a particular role. It's just where I happen to kind of be. So that that's a way I'm I Again, like I, by the way, I used to work for Susan. She was my boss. She was a great boss. And I will say that that, from my experience, you were cognizant while you were keeping, you know, this focus, you were also cognizant of where I was and my own personal integrity and my own impersonal, you know, what I had to offer and what, what I could working with me to see what I could do that we could agree upon that that would be, you know, uh, uh, in the service of this greater good, that was not about either of us exactly, but each of us had our had our personal relationship within that structure to work from. Um, so does that seem like a fair statement? I mean, <laughs> Well, okay. I mean, I'm glad that was your you say that as a fair statement of a of a of a good kind of up power down power relationship. Right. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Susan. Janelle, hi. Hi. I actually think that this is the most um, productive work we can do is to start noticing how and when we are uh, in an up, up power position and, and how the dynamic of communication and power is between us and the other person. Um, I, don't, I don't know how any progress will be made unless people start noticing the ways in which there uh, have been um, blind to their own empowerment over other people uh, and what kind of effects they can have on those people therefore um, I uh, I don't think it's true that that you can't have uh, an up power position unless the down power position person is in agreement I you know just to just to state an extreme example if a Caucasian, American police officer is arresting an African-American man, that African-American man is not in agreement with the fact that there are centuries of slavery behind us that formed the causes and conditions that we were formed by and that and that, that, that police officer has all kinds of power um, over the arrestee. So um, I find it difficult, you know, I can see how, let's say I'm in a, in a position of of uh, status power over someone else. I can see how I can choose to treat that person with respect and dignity, but it's still my choice. They don't get to choose whether I treat them that way, right? So even if I'm doing it, they're not empowered to make that happen. It's a, it's a subtle distinction, but uh, I'm seeing a distinction between uh, status power and role power. I thought you would say that, but if what just sorry, in my job, um, 
you know, because I have chronic illnesses, I happen to have a job that pays decently and is flexible uh, hours. And if I were to lose it, I could end up homeless because I wouldn't necessarily be able to get another job like that. Right. So it's not always the case that you're just in it by agreement. Sometimes those role positions <clears throat> involve somebody having, you know, power over someone else's livelihood, you know, and ability to get by. Yeah. It, it, thank you for a very powerful and true example. Uh, I just have another example that Susan was talking about aligning with the greater good, you know, in a, in a kind of corporate situation. Well, lots of corporate situations demand that you read the, the mission statement and you do whatever the mission statement says. And you may, not, you may hate the mission statement. You may think it's completely illegitimate. And the way in which management may be treating the, the uh, mission statement can be something that, you know, denies your humanity. You know, those are, that's a, a different, a less powerful example than the, the one you were giving, Jeanette. But um, yeah, these are, these are very important things. Um, we've only got nine minutes left. Or, I, no, no, we've got, no, we've got more than, we've got 39 minutes left. Okay, thank you. Whew. All right, I, I, want I want to be able to do uh, an exercise, or it doesn't show here, okay. For, but I, I want people to do uh, some actual moving around with the um, activity called power parameters self-reflection. So we need to turn to that in, oh, 10 more minutes in order to have time to do that and to be able to talk about the effects of it. Um, Clayton? Yes, you um, were asking about down power. So I'll just quickly, I'm in a down power relationship all the time with my editor as a freelance writer. And it's exhausting um, because I'm always having to figure out this new relationship and it's mostly on email. So I'm always open to wise words on how to manage my relative lack of power in relationship with these editors. But I really like what Susan said about what serves life. And I have to, when an editor says, okay, we're cutting this whole first part that you worked, well, they don't say that you worked so hard on, but I, I will have worked really, really hard. They say they're taking it out. I have a fit emotionally. And my key is to have all that ego focused emotion and privately and like go for a walk or talk to a friend and then come back when I'm clearer because I can't let my ego and my emotions get in the way of what serves this project. Um, and it just takes a lot of discernment um, and it's hard, but it's also, um, I think practice comes in a lot and just helping me try to figure out how to fight for what I want and let go of what is not worth fighting for. And it's a constant struggle. And I'm really glad I have a practice and that 
I don't send off an email right away with my first reactions, but I take time and breathe and go away and then come back. I was once a freelance writer, Clayton, and I often thought to myself about editors. Oh, so my story is, um, is the blank canvas on which you will create your masterpiece. You know, I mean, that's, that's the way I, I reacted to editing and so on. Um, and, and that's a very painful position to be in where you where you have worked hard on something and, and um, it can just be dismissed, you know, uh, or, or treated in ways that seem less than respectful. That's, uh, I, I, my heart goes out to you. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, the, I, I will say also, I'm going to jump in on, on the answer to my question that I raised before uh, about what are some ways in which, in a down power role, you can address um, issues related to meeting people on equal ground. And so I used to work in a situation where I had a very contentious relationship with one of my one of my bosses. I had many bosses, but there was a particular one that I really I was I felt like I was in a defensive crouch all the time in relation to this person. And um, I talked about it quite a bit with Peg and Flint and practiced discussion and so on. It was a, it was very important relationship to me and one in which I felt I had no power. And what what Peg in particular showed me was that I did have power in the sense of maintaining my own integrity and in not um, just going with the story that, that I had about this person. You know, to me, this person was abrupt and difficult and, and vengeful and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but Peg reminded me that in the moment that I could see that this was a person who was sitting in a chair just like me, and to remember that he had people looking over his shoulder for the success of the program and was being measured all the time in the same way I was being measured all the time and that we shared many things. And that's why I chose the, um, the uh, exercise from the anchored book that I shared uh, several weeks ago, which goes you know, along the lines of, like me, this person wants to be accepted. Like me, this person fears being rejected, you know, like that. That, there, there, that to me, at least in, in my own personal experience, that's been the way of negotiating um, from a down power role to, a, to up power roles in difficult situations, is to remember the common humanity and the, and the, the shared aspirations that we have, even if it's somebody that I'm having a fight with or that, you know, seems to want to put his thumb down on me, you know? So does that make sense to you, Clayton? In yes, that is very helpful. And I will think about that um, because I do try to do that. And if <clears throat> I'm feeling a little hungry and in need of some affirmation, I remember that they are too, 
I'll say something really great about what they edited to remind me it's not to focus on the thing that I feel like they're making worse and remember all the things they're making better. And then it feels more of like a collaboration. But I love what you said. Thank it can you. feel like a collaboration. Mm -hmm. exactly. And that is that is yourself acknowledging your own personal power and integrity in that moment, right? Thank you. Okay, thank you. Becky, hi. <clears throat> hi. Well, you just were, used the word I was going to use, collaborate. Um, one of, it was at Appamata early on, and I don't remember if it was you, uh, Joel, or if it was Kim or who I was having a conversation with, and it helped me recognize my pattern that about what I do in relationship to work situations and the up and down roles um, because I had the uh, freedom that comes with working with uh, with nonprofits that I believed in what they were doing and so that was a starting place uh, I only applied for jobs that were were down uh, power roles because I really didn't feel I could handle the kinds of stuff that I have seen and have have participated in uh, in, in reactivity to someone in an up power role. Uh, so what I did was try to find all of the ways that I could best collaborate with the boss person uh, and to really uh, make make as many offerings as I could about the way that she or he could um, could make that even stronger. I just you know was right in there behind it with you know the files you needed and the whatever's kind of things um, and and then also willing to make suggestions uh, about how it could be better and um, and that was good, but mostly those roles also had for me um, a, a down, a, a, an up power role as well, because uh, I was often working with either the volunteers or the clients of our program as well. And so I had both aspects of that going on. So in that case, part of what I always did was share what I saw in myself that was something and, and use my own experience to speak to. And it's something that I hadn't like realized as a pattern until somebody asked me about what work I had done and you know all of that. So, so it was a really interesting thing then to see what that was and why it sometimes worked and sometimes didn't. Mm -hmm. yeah. So do you, and, and again, in terms I mean, I think of you as someone who is very acute about understanding the relationships. Uh, uh, what what makes a relationship on equal ground? Do you do you find you know on reflection from what you were just describing, are you uh, at peace with um, the 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 mode of activity that that you have had in the past and that you have now uh, in terms of meeting people on equal ground? 
overall, but I also have a few things that I wish I had had a better um, take on it while it was happening, but did the best I could under the circumstances. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, it, and part of what you were saying is true here too, is I came to the assisted living and I'm in the down power position here, but what I have done right from when I got here was to say, I, I see what you're doing and how hard it is. Mm -hmm. While also talking about, I see what I'm doing and what you're helping me do and how hard that is. Mm -hmm. So um, to be able to look at it from both directions, I think is a useful process in itself. Mm. Thank you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> uh, okay, so it is two minutes after the hour. So I just wanted to ask if Ed, Ed I know okay. you had your hand up before. Did you have something you wanted to add? Oh. Well, I, I see that we do have a time issue and- um, No, Ed, go ahead, please, please do. I didn't see your hand before, sorry. I, I took it down because I was looking at the time thing and I didn't want to, you know, have not get to something that was um, important in here also, but um, and some of it's just an iteration of some of the things that have been said, but the whole structure, the whole concept, everything is so complicated, so nuanced, um, and it's something that has um, dynamic fluidity to it. Um, you know, in the corporate world, we always said you put together a document for operations, but it's a living document. It changes over time and over use and who's involved with it. And um, the whole thing with power, um, like Shanev brought up a very, very important uh, point. Um, and you had made a reference to it also in a particular way, Joel, where, you know, let's, everyone should look, uh, we all need to look at our mission statement. Um, but, you know, and, and in relation to something that Genev said, um, there's times when no one's sharing the mission statement or there is no mission statement or people have put themselves or others in a position where you don't have access to the mission statement and you're not being allowed to learn to read. So how you actually get a right use of power um, becomes a real quandary or it becomes a, a something that that's... Um, a non sequitur, something that can't get done. And one of the things that I, you know, like in a situation like that with the police, there is no such thing as an equal. Um, and in realistic term, what happens is um, whether you understand the right power or not, you still have a role there and your role becomes the role of a contributor where what you contribute to that, not as an equal, but as someone who is, um, non-contrary. So your role is just not to be um, a source of, of irritation or a source of rebellion or a source of conflict, um, but you still can't exercise power or intelligence or information. And um, even looking at that on a, yeah, at a corporate level, there were times when, because there are people who, you do have roles, you do have responsibilities, I would always say for people working with me is my best intention is that we work together, okay? And um, there are things that uh, in terms of, instead of instead of using the terms equals, I said, we're, we're contributors. 
and we're all equal as contributors, but someone might be able to contribute something in a more specific or better fashion than I could because you know more, you have more experience. But then we also need to understand that there will be, by necessity, situations where someone has to make a decision and be accountable for the decisions. And that's when, um, you know, it's not equals, but it's it's that person who has in the what we're calling the up power position has that accountability to make that decision and be accountable for the consequences of that decision for yourself and for the other people working with you. And um, asking for understanding and agreement uh, to do that, to work together, but also to understand where there has to be times where someone has to take a different level of accountability than, than someone else might be. And if you don't want to participate or feel that's not viable, because there are such things as built-in biases um, for this whole thing, whether it's um, power-related or sociological, um, or people who uh, don't want to under, who, who have different communication platforms that they want to work off of. So um, there's just so much that sometimes it works one way, sometimes it works a different way uh, with, with all of the power structures and being able to understand where you fit into that role on a fluid basis is extremely important and sometimes extremely difficult. And that was my two cents. Okay, thank you. And, and I, uh, I'm sorry, I was muted before, so <clears throat> thank you. Uh, okay, um, I'm not seeing anybody else with hands raised or anything at this time. All right, so uh, I'm going to share the screen for just a moment, and I want to suggest an activity that will take, well, let's see, it's eight minutes after the hour, uh, so let's spend 15 minutes on this. And um, uh, does everyone? Well, I don't know how to. I don't. I'm. I'm not being able to shrink this on my screen right now. But can everyone see power parameters self-reflection? Uh, and I hope you have copies of this, uh, or a, a copy of you of it on your own computer. What I want to suggest is that we break up into. Uh, Breakout rooms. Uh, let's see. I can't. I can't see right now how many people we have. Uh, two people each, uh, and that each group of two choose, say, three of these items. It doesn't matter which ones. Just whichever ones you can agree on, and that you do the following activity. So, for example, uh, the first one. There's pers for personal own role power. Are you more comfortable being directive or responsive. And the way that Cedar Barstow came up with for experiencing this is literally experiential. Imagine that there's a line uh, to your right and to your left. And if you move to the right, you are moving toward, you're, you're kind of situating yourself where you feel most responsive, where, where, I'm sorry, where you feel most comfortable on that continuum. And so you're going to be doing this with another person and you might be narrating it to the other person as you're doing it. So you're, you're sharing your response, your responses on this. 
or directive. You know, you may be someone who feels comfortable being directive in certain situations where that's necessary, and you're imagining yourself into that situation. But something else you can do is not just go stand in a place that is on that line, but change, move uh, toward, if, you're, if you wanna be, if, you, if you're naturally more directive, move toward being responsive and see what that feels like. See what it feels like in your body. So is that clear at all, I hope? So imagine you're gonna be standing up and you're gonna be moving on a line that is related to each of these poles uh, that, that shows up in this document. And um, I'm gonna see if I can bring a few more of them up on the screen here. So, so Joel, just to clarify, you actually want us to physically stand up, right? That's right. Okay. <clears throat> so, and again, when we, when we pick three, two, let's say, or well, okay, so let's make it two for now to give us time to, to come back. Um, we can't do them all, but just pick some that, that grab you vulnerable and invulnerable. That's a good one. Um, so, and you want to get up and move and see how it feels in your body as you move toward one pole and toward another pole and report that out loud to your partner in your in your breakout room okay. This is a very powerful exercise, it may not seem like much right now, but it can be really great. This, it, as an exercise, it sure is a lot more effective if you are in a room with other people, moving up and down an imaginary line to and, and expressing, oh, I don't, I, I'm moving toward the part where I project blame. I'm starting to have a bad feeling about that. And, and now I'm going to move to the part where I accept blame. And uh, uh, wait, should I be blamed for everything? Why those those thoughts are coming up, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and like I say, it's just a lot easier if you're actually in a room with other people instead of talking through the ether. Mary Beth, you have your hand up. Yeah, I was just going to say, I just, I did it by myself here in my, my room. I just started at the top and started doing it. It was fascinating. So thank you, because I'm going to practice it more. Because I did feel myself, especially in directive, I'm a very directive person, but I felt myself as I walked, the response, the responsive side, I just started, it felt like I was putting on a pair of clothes that didn't fit, you know? And so, and then I went down to a couple more and I, I don't know if it means anything because I haven't taken the course or read the book, but I tend to be on this left side of the paper. And I don't know if people tend to be on one side or the other, or so I just wanted, those were my observations. Mm -hmm. Any reactions to that? Anybody who felt that they were 
on the right side of the paper as opposed to the left side of the paper? So Jess texts and says, I was more on the right side. I'll say I'm, I tend to be more on the right side. Could I say something, Joel? Yes, Lisa. Um, except for on the right, on the left side, the project blame, all of these, both the left and the right side, all of these seem to have value as long as we can be flexible and accommodate to a situation so that we don't get stuck and always being task focused, which I tend to do, or directive, but that we we flow as needs be between the, along the continuum. Mm -hmm. okay. Really, that's true. It's really true. And it's just, it's good to be able to explore as an experience, moving around and, and, and ending up where you feel as, as Mary Beth said, it's like, wearing clothes that don't fit you know and i'll to it's not a common experience to be able to move around in that way uh where it's low stakes and yet uh, a serious exploration you know so i really i love these exercises there are many many more uh that you have access to through the right use of power institute website you can watch their videos you can look at their offerings. Uh, all you have to do is sign up. You will then be on their email list and get one or two emails a day for the rest of your life, <laughs> maybe, but it's free. You don't have to pay to, to access the materials. So, uh, Serenity. Um, one of the things that I was reminded of in looking at the list is sort of the yin and yang balance, but all the things are relative. So there is a relationship between them and you could have, you know, if you had a third thing or a different thing, it wouldn't necessarily be one place or the other. And it's, it's about having the energy to do the dance to move between them as the circumstances require. Well, that's a huge, huge point. The energy to do the dance. Right. Uh, Rosemary, so we are we're just at the end of our time, and there's one paragraph I'd like to read before we go. So, but Rosemary, oh, just real quick, I just wanted to second what what both Lisa and Serenity were saying about the continuum um, and the dance, because otherwise you could look at this as a duality, and I think one kind of stay away from that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, different circumstances obviously require different things. So thanks. That's all I had. Thank you. Okay. Well, th this is this is so exciting for me. I every, all the yeah, uh, things that people had to say. I'm so appreciative of stepping forward with energy and and engaging so fully with the material that that we had in this chapter it's really great and and um i hope it's helpful to you so here's a concluding paragraph from diane Rosetto, which you've no doubt read already but she says that's what our practice with this precepts offer precept offers us the opportunity to truly experience perfection as neither better nor worse bigger nor smaller than anything else in the universe and then slowly 
over time, inquiring into and slowly deconstructing our patterns of measuring ourselves against others. We can have moments when we truly meet each other on human uh, on equal ground. Like the Buddha advises, don't believe this because I say it or because you read it in a book. Believe only your own experience. That's why we practice. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of tenacity to do this kind of work. It isn't something we can learn by listening to a talk or just believing it. We have to get up and move around. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm extemporizing here. Uh, that uh, we have to we have to move. We have to work with other people, and to meet to to meet them on equal ground means letting go of our stories, listening, being kind, being responsive, and being truthful, even when that may lead to disagreement. So, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you so much for for this wonderful afternoon and um our next chapter will be chapter eight which is about i've got it printed out here well i didn't no i don't have it printed out here what's the next chapter anyone have that in front of them <clears throat> is it maintaining a clear, a clear mind. mind sorry cultivating a clear mind cultivating a clear mind okay so let's work on that i'll have many more uh, extra pieces to share over the next month. And um, I'll see you in June, if not before. Thank you.